let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus. And thank you that he has sent his Holy Spirit upon us to guide us, to show us the way, to show us who you are and who we can be in you. Pray today that we can see more of that, that we can see more of you, that we can grab hold of everything that you want to give to us today, Lord Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, I know I've spoken about it before, but when I was at university, when I was a young bloke, I was there with my two best mates, and um, we were all Christians, and... um, The Holy Spirit was really doing things and it was a marvellous time. People were being saved. Um, We were running around the campus and on the streets of the city and doing amazing stuff. And we all felt called to follow God into some form of ministry. We didn't really know what that was, but we felt called to leave there and do it. And none of us did We got to the edge of the promised land and we knew it was fantastic, but we just thought, we just didn't know how to do it. We didn't have the faith to take that first step into it. But as as happened with the Israelites, when they didn't take the opportunity to go into the promised land, and when they saw all the giants there and how difficult it looked, they had to wander in the wilderness. And for me, that's what happened. Um, it's not that God didn't look after me or care for me anymore, but, you know, I went from a lush place out into the desert. And, you know, it was a result of my disobedience. Disobedience has consequences. Sometimes we, get, we have to be punished, and that can involve suffering. And for the Israelites, it was 40 years in the wilderness. And it's not that God wasn't there with them, leading them, showing them where to go. But only two people from that generation that refused to go into the land actually made it into the land. And they were the two that wanted to keep going into the land. Now, probably most of us in our life at some stage have been in a place in the wilderness and sometimes it's not our own fault sometimes God does actually lead us through a wilderness experience to test us Jesus before his ministry was led into the wilderness to be tested by Satan so it doesn't necessarily mean we've done something wrong but when we are there it can be a hard place It's not a great place to live or grow anything and God's blessings don't seem to be as plentiful and are much harder to find. But God is still with us and calling us forward and I don't think it's a place where God wants us to stay. He wants to lead us into the promised land. So for me, what changed? Well, the Israelites were wandering around for 40 years. For me, it was about 30. 
So maybe I wasn't quite as stubborn as them. <laughs> but uh, I was still missing out on a lot. But the difference for me was when I started saying yes. Yes to God. When I was in the wilderness, it's not like there wasn't some oasises along the way um, to keep me encouraged. But when I came here, I decided I didn't want to say no to God anymore. I wanted to say yes to everything that he had for me, no matter what it it took and God has reminded me of a few times <laughs> a few times that promise that I made um, like last time when you were here Steve <laughs> and I had my sermon prepared and God said nah I don't want you to do that one I want you to talk about this and I went oh no Lord do I really have to but it's all a learning experience of trusting in God and you know I think I probably had that little toddler that, you go, okay, I'm going to go for it, Lord. <laughs> I fall over and muck it up. And, uh, and that's all right. God just loves it when we have a go, as I was talking about before. And God makes many wonderful promises in the Bible. But what do we need to do to take hold of these promises and make them become true in our lives? Today I want us to understand one of God's particularly amazing promises in the scriptures that I want us to say yes to, to this promise and dive headfirst into what he has for us and live there always. I believe Jesus is asking us to drink his living water which will then flow out from our hearts into all we do. In John 7, verses 37 to 38, Jesus promises us living water. Scriptures say, on, that, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted at the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. He just didn't, he wasn't, oh guys, you know, over here, you know, if you want to. He was out there. <laughs> and if we kept reading, verse 39 tells us that this living water is the Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost. Before I say a bit more about that, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey through the the scriptures and the Bible say to show you that this living water flows through all of creation from the beginning of time to now and into eternity. So in creation at the beginning springs came up from the ground and watered all the land and then God created the garden in Eden and river flowed into the Eden and then it flowed out of Eden. There's four rivers. Remember God said to go out into all the world and subdue it. And that's representative of that. But it's also representative of the Holy Spirit flowing into where the, the man and the woman were and then going out 
It, it doesn't stay as one. It goes out into all the world. And we were talking about the wilderness. Of course, in the wilderness, Moses struck the rock with his stick, with his staff, and water poured out for the people to drink. And he provided them food as well. This water brings abundant life. Life cannot be sustained without water. If suddenly there was no water anymore, it wouldn't take long for us to perish. So it's a very important symbol of life. And what is often physically represented in the Old Testament, like we're talking about the River of Eden, is spiritually represented in the New Testament. So when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well, in John 4, he tells us that he is the living water and whoever drinks, it becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Just like that original spring in creation that bubbled up through the ground and gave life to all creation. He's longing to give us true life through his Holy Spirit. What does it mean to drink living water? I want to go back to our verse. We notice the first thing, or not the verse, it's actually the second thing, it says Jesus stood. We might just gloss over that and, and not understand what that signifies. In that time, when um, the, the rabbis, the teachers, spoke to people, they taught, they sat down. And you notice when um, Jesus first proclaimed his ministry, which I talked about in my last sermon, in his hometown, Nazareth, in the, um, he got up, they had the, Bible, the uh, scripture reading in Isaiah, and then he sat down, and they, all, they were all expectantly waiting for him to teach. So in those days they sat down to teach, but Jesus stood up, and he didn't just speak, he shouted, because he wanted everyone to see what he's he wanted to get everyone's attention and he wanted them to hear. This was something extremely important for the people that were listening. But more than that, it says, the first thing here it says, on the last day, the climax of the festival. So the festival was the um, festival of tabernacles or festival of booths. And it's got a number of different names that uh, people have given it. But... In those times, um, at the Festival of Tabernacles, on that last day, they would read from the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 47 in our Bible, and the first 12 verses. We won't read through it all, but I'll summarise it for you, and you'll see how it applies to what Jesus is saying. So they would have read this out, and then Jesus spoke after it. So in Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel was shown a stream that flows from the temple east across the desert and into the Dead Sea. And as it goes across the desert, it gets progressively deeper and progressively wider, bringing purifying water and abundant life that flourishes wherever it goes, turning the Dead Sea into fresh water. And the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason because it's so salty that nothing can live in it. And that's why people can just float on it. You can't sink in the Dead Sea. So it's almost impossible to drown. 
Um, but where this river went, the shores were lined with nets to catch fish of every kind. Fruit trees also lined the shores, and they always had fruit upon them, and they had new fruit every month, and the leaves never turned brown or fell off. And it says at the end, the fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. And then Jesus stands up and speaks, shouting, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, river of living water will flow from his heart. Rivers of living water rather, will flow from his heart. Jesus' claim is astonishing in the context. He is claiming to be the temple from where this living water flows and people can receive and drink this precious water from him. And the people there would have been completely shocked at what he said. And we see their reaction afterwards. The crowd was divided. But notice even the guards that were sent to arrest him by the Pharisees proclaim, we have never heard anyone speak like this. And the Pharisees said to them, what, have you been deceived also? <laughs> no, they just heard the truth proclaimed. And when the truth is proclaimed, it divides. Some people believe it, some people reject it. But I want to go a little bit deeper into Ezekiel 47 to show you um, the, the, the different parts that are revealed through, through this passage. So the obvious thing is that the water brings life. The desert, which was barren and parched, was brought to life. And before we were talking about the wilderness, and if you've been wandering in the wilderness for long enough without water, when you see that water, and it's not a mirage, you are, there's nothing else that matters. You are going straight to that water and you are diving in or drinking it as much as you can. And that's the sort of attitude, the sort of desire that we've got to have in our hearts for what Jesus had, is, wants to give to us. But it purifies, it makes clean. The Dead Sea was brought back to life, was turned into fresh water. And in the scriptures, sea represents the world. All the bad things of the world, the sin and corruption, was all cleansed. It was made new and fresh again. As it goes, when it came, it says it, it goes, it, it started in the temple and went under the door. So obviously it's not a very big stream when it first starts out of the temple. And I think there's a parallel here of when Jesus was on the cross and he was speared in the side, the water flowed, flowed at the temple for our healing. And that river still flows today from him into our parched lives across the desert. But 
when we receive God's Spirit, it doesn't, it's not just made to reside in us, it's meant to flow out to others like that river in Eden. So when we speak to someone, we, they become a Christian, they receive the Holy Spirit, it multiplies as it goes, and that person comes and speaks to someone else, and then multiplies again. That river is getting deeper, that river is getting wider. It's what this re river represents. Represents the aim of the Spirit and what it's achieving. And God's plans can never be thwarted. And then you'll notice, I was um, when I first read the Ezekiel, it talks about the nets were lined up right along the river. And the distance from the temple, the physical distance, if you draw a straight line on a river, never goes in a straight line. Um, it's about 30 or 40 kilometres, I think. I can't remember the exact thing, but it's about, if you drive, it's over 100 kilometres. So imagine the whole distance being lined with nets. But what do nets do? They catch fish. And what did Jesus say he was going to do with us? Make us fishers of men. And it says the river was full of every kind of fish. And remember, Jesus said to go out that. The gospel needs to be preached to every nation. That all people need to hear the message of Jesus and his salvation. And that's, what's that's what this mass fishing exercise represents. And then there's fruit on the, the, the trees that, are, that, that line the river. And I believe he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit that grows in our hearts and flows out to others, nourishing them with God's fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness and self-control. That when we receive God's Spirit, he grows and changes our character. We have a character transformation or remember the religious word, sanctification process brings healing to our lives which is represented by the tree's leaves that never die because what is achieved in us has eternal value we are storing up treasure in heaven ultimately it is through his Holy Spirit that he sustains us until we see the river of life flowing from the throne of God in Revelation 22 which says, the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the centre of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. So now we see the... The river isn't just flowing from the temple, it's flowing from the throne of God, which in Revelation comes down from heaven and God's dwelling place becomes with men. And there's no night and day because God's light is there showing us the way all the time. And I think it's interesting, it says it flows down the centre of the main street. The main street is the gathering place for all the people. It's the main hub, so everyone has access to it. 
And on each side of the river is the tree of life that grows 12 crops of fruit. Now when did we last see the river of life, uh, the tree of life? It was of course in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were um, well, I can't think of the right word but God pushed them out of the <laughs> led them out of the Garden of Eden put them out of the Garden of Eden because imagine if in their fallen state in their sinful state had eaten from that tree of life they would have been perpetually living forever in sin which is why God had to put them out of the garden but now in this renewed creation described in Revelation there's a tree of life on each side of the river and again the, represent, the river represents his Holy Spirit and the divine because there's the two trees represents those before that lived before the, the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost those from the Old Testament and the Old Covenant now the tree of life is for the twelve those that follow the twelve disciples that Jesus appointed so everyone that has put their faith in God eats and drinks what God has provided and lives perfectly with him in perfect relationship in perfect union and with each other forever you can hardly wait Lord. that's fantastic Jesus said anyone who is thirsty come to me if we're not thirsty we won't see the need to drink anything if we don't drink the spirit doesn't move you can completely immerse yourself in a river by swimming and diving in you can have a shower but if you don't drink it it won't flow through you but how much do we really want it how much do we really desire it are we like that person that's been wandering in the desert and sees that fresh water and nothing else matters Jesus gives an example in Matthew 13 where he says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls when he discovered a pearl of great value he sold everything he owned and bought it and you can't live effectively for the kingdom without drinking his spirit and desiring it above all else in verse 38 of today's passage from John 7 he says anyone who believes may come and drink so belief in Jesus putting our faith in him and what he's said and done is the only qualification to drink the free gift of the Holy Spirit and when the Bible talks about the gift of the Spirit and the gifts that the Spirit brings it talks about the word that Anne spoke this morning grace it says God gives graces to us grace upon grace it's a gift all we'd have to do is ask and receive and in Luke 11 Jesus talks about being persistent in prayer Jesus teaches us to keep seeking and keep knocking 
and the door will be opened. And then he goes on to talk about earthly fathers. If we ask for a fish, they won't give us a snake. And then in verse 13 he says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So God gives good gifts. I remember when I was um, a kid at Christmas, or it might have been my birthday, and it was, I can't even remember what it was now, but I just wanted it so badly. This gift, oh, that's all I wanted. I knew my parents were trying to divert me in another direction, saying, oh, but you know, what about this, or what about that? And I was going, no, nah, no, nah, this is all I want. And then when I got it, it was a real letdown. It wasn't what I wanted at all. In fact, what my parents, I thought, well, I wish I'd listened to my parents. <laughs> so there's many things that we can chase that appear so exciting and promise fulfillment in the place of God, but in the end they all leave us empty, lost, disappointed, disillusioned, because nothing can replace God and he doesn't force his will on us. He gives us free choice. You know, we have to sometimes suffer the consequences of our own foolish paths and desires. You know, you say, well, okay, <laughs> if that's what you want, you go for it. Sometimes he tries to redirect us. Sometimes he will stop us. But be careful what you desire. But let me tell you, God wants to pour it out. In our prayer session last week, um, in our Sunday afternoon prayer session, I had a vision which showed a bowl pouring out. And it's like a funnel down and there was a group of people underneath and it was like, they couldn't get enough, give me more, more. He was pouring it in and it became a fire and they were on fire and they couldn't get enough. I saw the fire of God above them. God wants to give good gifts. And when I saw that, I'd just seen a, um, I think it was a YouTube video or something, I know our kids like watching some of the pet ones that they have on there, but it was a, a little puppy sucking on the, the mother's teeth and it was like, it's like, it was the last thing it ever wanted to do and it was going to die unless it did. You know, it was like so desperate. <laughs> it was the only puppy. It wasn't like it didn't even have any competition. <laughs> but nothing else mattered <laughs> to that little puppy. So desperately desire and take hold of all he's longing to give us. Because rivers, in verse 38 talks about rivers of living water will flow from his heart talking about us God puts it in so it can flow out of us to others Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit filled them with power the Holy Spirit brings the power of God 
when it says it flows from our heart. I remember Barry spoke to us a few months ago about the Hebrew word or the Greek word, I can't remember which one it was, actually means stomach or our guts. But basically means the core of our being, our deepest desire. Transformed by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. His attitude and character are imparted to us. His ministry becomes our ministry. So how does any appliance operate without power? We know in the power switches office, we find out how, many stuff, how much of our stuff doesn't work anymore. And how much we rely on it sometimes. How does your car go without fuel? Probably doesn't go too far, if anywhere. It's the same for us. Without being filled with the Holy Spirit, we won't be able to achieve anything of eternal value for God. I can't overemphasize the importance of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for living in the will of God. If you haven't been baptised in the Holy Spirit, come and see me as soon as you can so that you can receive the most wonderful thing that can happen in your life. I know the thing that was, before I was baptised in the Holy Spirit, the thing that was missing most in my life was joy. I struggled and struggled to find joy. But when we live in the Spirit, there's joy and so much more that God wants to give to us. So all of us who believe in what Jesus has done are called to drink the living water of God, which he gives us freely and will well up within us into a Holy Spirit Pentecost fire who transforms all we do. something we really need to take possession of. We don't want to take God's wonderful gift and put it on the shelf. I'm sure we've all bought appliances or something where it's gone in the cupboard or on the shelf. We thought it was going to be great and we never use it. Or, you know, some of these people buy these collector's cars and go, oh, isn't that wonderful? And they just put it in the shed. They never use it. It's just an object. Or a trophy. But I think the thing that unlocks the spirit is speaking in tongues. When our spirit communicates with God's spirit, when we communicate through the spirit, God's desires for us become more apparent and allows us to be receptive to his work in us and through us. In the camp that I've just been on with Revival College, we had um, one of the senior pastors in Victoria come and spoke to us about um, moving in the prophetic. And one of the things that he was saying about speaking in tongues is pray out loud with everything you've got from everything inside you. Go for, go for it with God. And he got us all to pray for 10 minutes in that, that fashion. And by the end of it, I felt like, wow, I can take on the world. I felt, wow, empowered. Like I've never been before. And 
was awesome. So when we pour it out to God, he will pour himself back into us. Thank you, Jesus. When we learn to drink in the Holy Spirit, we learn to love God with all our heart, mind, body and soul and love our neighbour like ourselves. And that's what we want to aim for in life. Amen.